How's everybody? Praise the Lord. <laughs> God is good. You know what? I'm just going to talk a little bit today. Just kind of have a family chat a little bit. We'll see where it goes. I'm going to attempt to sit. That may not, I may not stay seated. And I may or may not request your help, Josh, if you're going to be in here. Uh, it depends on where we go, which way it goes. You know, Sunday is my favorite day of the week. It really is. I enjoy this church and coming to this church and being a part of you guys and what God's doing here so much. Uh, it is my favorite day of the week. And probably my second, one of my second favorite days is Mondays because I come here and get to pray with the leadership team and pray with those who are coming on Monday nights to pray for the country. And, uh, and Petra, you would be pleased to know that we, Monday night we prayed for the presence to come over our nation. So there's, she had suggested that, and it, the, Lord, the Lord did that Monday night. But I just wanted to cast some seed, cast some vision. You know, the people perish for lack of vision. When you begin, you know what Michael Jordan did? Y'all know, how many know who Michael Jordan is? All right. How many do not know who Michael Jordan is? Really, it's okay. You're probably young if you don't. Anybody not know who Michael Jordan is? Be honest. Okay. Michael Jordan's from Wilmington. And, uh, but you know what he did was he displayed another level. You know what I mean? He took basketball and he displayed it in front of the world at a higher level than probably anybody had ever seen before. Now, you could argue that, and I would argue that, that he did. Now, some people may disagree with that, but I think Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player to ever live, and he's not even my favorite player. My favorite player was Charles Barkley because I liked his attitude. <laughs> He don't care who you are. He gonna, he gonna, he's going to give you what for. Uh, I love Charles Barkley, but there was not a greater basketball player than Michael Jordan. Now, why am I bringing that up in church? Well, because what I want to do today is to display some previous players in the game of church history and show some of the things that God has done in the past because when Michael Jordan was lifted up, you know, it wasn't that long until people started doing moves that Michael would do. That reverse layup that he did like no one else had ever done before. Now, there might have, I know there's people that did that, okay, before him, but no one did it like him. No one came from the whole other side of the basketball goal with one jump, pump fake, come back around to the other side. I mean, he did things that, you know, that just blew people's mind but a whole generation came up after him doing those things. And why was that? Because they now knew it was possible. They didn't know it was possible. And there's a lot of things that God wants to do in our midst, but we can't believe for it because we don't know it's possible. And God wants to raise the bar so that we have a higher expectation of what's possible so that then we can begin to contend for it. Now, when those players that came up after Jordan, they had to work, they had to sweat, they had to practice, they had to 
hone their skills, but they did it with a vision of what's possible. Because that vision of what was possible was what fueled the fire that kept them going to the basketball goal after dark to keep practicing. Because they had a vision. Where there is no vision, the people perish. And God wants to release a vision in our heart that burns. And when all of God's people carry the vision, they're going to contend for it. And when we contend for what's possible in this church, we're going to see something like the world's never seen. Um, the Lord spoke to me last Monday night, and I know that I know that I know it was the Lord. It's not for debate in my heart. You can think what you want to. I don't even care. But I know what the Lord told me Monday night, a week ago, in our prayer meeting, our leadership team. I was praying for the presence of God to come and for these things that we've been contending for for a while. And as clear as a bell, without me thinking I hadn't seen this show and I don't know how long, even though I enjoyed the show, I'm not like a super fan, like in the sense that I, I would think about it, watch it all the time. As a matter of fact, I can't tell you the last time I saw even a movie or a show. But I saw the Star Trek Enterprise and that whole thing where it takes off and it says, going where no man has ever gone before. And when I saw that, I knew the Lord was telling me that he wants to take us to a place that no one has ever been before. There is a move of God that is coming to the earth that he wants to use us to start or be a part of. That no previous generation has even seen it. There is a move of God coming so powerful. What does the scripture say? No eye has seen, no ear has heard, neither has it even entered the heart of men, all the things that God has prepared for those that love him. I want to contend with you guys today that that's not just talking about what's going to be in heaven, though that's certainly true. There's a generation that's going to experience the glory of the earth, the glory of the Lord being feeling the earth as the waters covers the sea because God said he would do it. God said by his own mouth to Moses that the glory of the Lord would fill the earth as the waters covers the sea. You know how deep the sea is? It's so deep, they don't even, they have parts of, there's more parts in the ocean that haven't been dis, viewed or discovered or searched out than there is that we've searched out. There's depths to the ocean that we've not even touched yet. It's deeper than we can even go to. And the Lord says his glory is going to be poured out in the earth greater than the depths of the sea. God's got something big in store. And we get to be a part of it. And it's going to be amazing. And we've already starting to touch it. We're in the beginning of a move of God. I know it in my spirit. I know it in my spirit. We are on the verge of a move of God like the earth has never seen.
And I know in this move, we're going to see the lame healed, cancer fall off of people, demons set, demon possessed people, and we have plenty of them that come here. I'm talking about like yesterday, we had a multiple, multiple demon manifestation in the parking lot. <laughs> we were doing our, our homeless outreach. And, you know, almost every, almost every person we minister to, not all, but most, hear voices tell them things to do that are evil. Demons are going to be, set, are going to be cast out. People are going to be saved beyond number. Healing's going to flow like a river. Depression will be broken over people's lives just for coming in contact with believers. Conviction's going to fall on people who once were convictionless, wouldn't be convicted, didn't care a darn about God or the Holy Spirit or doing what's right. They don't care, and they're going to fall under the power of the Holy Spirit in conviction for their sins and repent which is for their sake. There's a move of God coming that's going to blow all the other moves away. And we've had a lot of amazing moves throughout church history. Things that God has done to bless generations. But all the wonderful things that God's about to do, the very greatest thing that's coming is the reality of His presence. He's going to be in our midst. God is going to be in our midst. There's people that come to church that believe that in their head. They believe in God in their head, and they believe the reality of heaven in their head, but they don't always really believe it in their heart because if they did, they would live differently. They would worship differently. They would pray differently. But when you have an encounter with the living God, everything changes. It's no longer life as normal. You think that woman who came and cried on Jesus' feet, you think her life stayed the same after encountering Jesus' love? Mm-mm. So, just going to read a few scriptures. Then I want to read from a book. And I want to see what God's going to do. But I, one of the things that I would like for us, you know why this is going to be different than any other move? Well, the presence of God is number one. But Sherry is going to be a carrier. You know, I told Paul that when you were talking about we're not supposed to, you were singing, we're not supposed to carry burdens or something like that. And it, but then you said, I don't remember what you were singing. You were singing something prophetic about not carrying burdens. And it just went off inside of me. But what were we, what are we supposed to carry? And I had the vision of the priest. If you know the priest under the old covenant, the Levites, you know, when they didn't carry the ark properly, people got struck. 
God told them how to carry the ark of his presence. That's literally what it was called, the ark of his presence. The priest had to carry it on their shoulders. The ark represents God's holy manifest presence in your midst. And we have been made a kingdom of kings and priests. Every single one of us is called to literally, that's been born again, you're called to be a carrier of the presence of God everywhere you go. So this is why it's going to be different because Sherry's going to carry it. Josh is going to carry it. The Garners are going to carry it. This young lady's going to carry it. And this group's going to carry it. And this group's going to carry it. And y'all are going to carry it. Every single one of you is called to carry the manifest presence of God. There's coming a day when we're going to go to the store and you're going to come in such, with the, such of the presence of God that in the store, revival breaks out. Not because you being this awesome minister knowing how to do everything right. It's going to be because you are carrying his presence. The presence of God will be on his people. Mountains melt like wax at the presence of the Lord. Everything that hinders the world today will disappear in his manifest presence. I want his presence. I'm going I'm to I'm finish with these scriptures. I'm not going to start with them. All right, this is a book. Ah, uh, book. The Power to Change the World is by Rick Joyner. It's the Welsh and Azuzu Street Revivals. Okay? I want to read from it. How many are familiar with the Welsh Revival? Okay, most of you. If you're not, at the turn of the century in the 1900s, there was a revival that broke out in Wales in the UK. This revival was like no revival probably ever seen and I want to talk to you a little bit about it um, if you don't have this book you should get it by the way a shameless plug we have our bookstore now upstairs and we're carrying books that we believe will really bless your life I am telling you guys if you've not read the final quest series you need to. This book changed my life. The Final Quest is up there. And it's an honor system. The prices are on the wall. Take the book, drop the money in the box, okay? It's an honor system. And I'm not, we're not doing it to sell books. I, I don't care less. Uh, we're doing it so that you guys will get the stuff that will change your life. But, all right. That's my shameless plug. We need to get this book up there, actually. I'm going to talk to Jesse. We got to get this book. But let me get to the page. I want to read a few things that had happened. Now, the, the, what I'm about to read is just a, a small sample of what people were writing at the time about what was going on. But I just want to give you a backdrop. Wells was very secular they had christian christian they had churches very uh religious churches so this revival 
that began to, to come in Wales changed the whole, the whole country. It changed the, whole, it changed the world, to be honest with you. But when I say change the country, I mean it changed the country. Flames that were carried from there impacted the whole world, but this whole community was turned upside down. Let me read what some of the people said back then. There are some words in here that you may not understand, because I'll be with you because it was written over 100 years ago. But this is one guy's writing about what he saw. He said, details have just reached us of wonderful meetings. The influence of the Holy Spirit is felt most powerfully by men and women alike. Strong men pale and tremble. Young men and women storm the gates of heaven with overwhelming importunity. That's just like a deep importunity. They're just, it's just, I am coming with this deep, deep cry in my heart to importune. And just, I'm overwhelmed by the overpowering effect. The whole congregation is completely melted and pronounced weeping and sobbing. Large numbers are finding the Lord. Two well-known reprobates came forward and sank on their knees and began to beat their breasts. The Bible Society records show that, how, show that over three times the number of Bibles are now being sold since the revival broke out. The bookstores say it is no longer. Uh, the bookstore, sorry, the booksellers say it is no trouble now to sell Bibles. The trouble is to get them. Can you imagine that? You run out of Bibles. A lovely story is told of a child of four in an infant class who held up his hand to call to the teacher's attention. Well, inquired the teacher, what is it? Swift and telling came the words, "Please, teacher, do you love Jesus?" The error reached its mark. This is not in church. This is in her school. When I say this touched a community, I'm not just talking about the church meetings. This thing overflowed the church meetings and it went throughout the whole country. There were meetings that broke out in the streets from little kids going to a cross that was standing up outside and they would start singing Christian songs and then men and women would join them and the next thing you know, there was a meeting breaking out at the park. This was going on all over the country. Prayer meetings would be full to capacity. Services would start early before the leaders would get there, people would get there and start breaking out and singing and worshiping and the presence of the Lord would fall and God would be moving before the leaders even showed up to the meeting. <laughs> so they couldn't get Bibles. This little girl's in school and she says, do you love Jesus? The arrow reached its mark there and then the teacher came to the Lord and she later went out to India as a missionary. Someone overheard one child ask another, do you know what the, has happened at Ro, Rose? I guess that's a place there. No, I don't, except that Sunday comes every day now. They were meeting every day. See, if that's unusual to you, like who would want to go to church every day? You know, if church services are like most church services, I get it. Please. Don't make me go. But if God is showing up, if we treasure him, and I promise you, you get in his presence, you're going to treasure him. He is wonderful. He is lovely. There is no one like Jesus. 
And when he shows up, the way he's about to show up, the crowds will come because they always did. You remember when Jesus walked? There's no room to go anywhere because when Jesus was there, people wanted to be there. It's because Jesus was in their midst. He's coming, guys. He's coming before he comes. So she's asking about, does she know what happened at Rose? No, I don't, except that Sunday comes every day. Don't you know? No, I don't. Why, Jesus Christ has come to live in Rose now. It's a little girl talking. Winky Prattney found and recorded the following newspaper report in his book, Revival. Uh, so he's Whitney Prattney's, Rick's quoting Whitney Prattney's book who quotes a, a newspaper article, okay, from back then. Uh, the scene is almost indescribable. Tier upon tier of men and women filled every inch of space. Those who could not gain a minute stood outside and listened at the doors. Others rushed to the windows where almost every word was audible. When at seven the service began, 2,000 people must have been present. The enthusiasm was unbound. Women stood and shouted until perspiration ran down their faces and then jumped up one after another to testify. One told in quivering accents the story of a drunken life. A working, I don't know what this is, Collier, spoke like a practice orator. One can imagine what a note the testimony of a converted gypsy woman struck when dressed in her best, she told of her reformation and repentance. At 10 o'clock, the meeting had lost none of its ardor. So they're not giving up. Like they're, they're just as zealous and excited to be there at 10 at night. That felt like our watch night the other night until I happened to leave the room. <clears throat> if you were there, it's an inside joke if you were there. Uh, and if you weren't there, you, you missed it. It was awesome. Wasn't it awesome? How, how many were there? That was so good. I didn't want to leave. Let's see. I got to find my place again. Oh, yeah. Prayer offered... Prayer after prayer went up. Time and again, the four ministers who stood in the pulpit attempted to start a hymn, but it was all in vain. The revival has taken hold of the people, and even Miss, Mr. Roberts cannot keep it in check. His latest convert is a policeman who, after complaining that the people had gone mad after religion, so there was nothing to do. See, the, the police force had to start choirs because there were no crimes being committed in the whole country. That's how powerful effect the revival had. Everyone had gotten saved. When I say everyone, almost everyone. You know what I mean? I mean, it, it was so widespread, there was no crime anymore. Police, police people were coming to work and they don't have nothing to do. So they started making choirs and they would go around singing because there were no one in jail, no one to be arrested. And so this policeman's mad. He ain't got anything to do. And so he's complaining and he goes to the meeting. And it says, Mr. Roberts cannot keep in check. And his, his, his latest convert, convert is a policeman who, after complaining that the people had gone mad after religion, so there was nothing to do, went to see for himself and bursting into tears, confessed the error of his ways and repented. It goes on. This book has so many listings, but I wanted to read just another little section just to kind of give you an overview. So stay with me a minute. All right. 
Time constraints in the meeting were forgotten. Announced to begin at a certain hour, people would gather hours before. No one knew when the services would end and clocks were simply ignored. Meetings began as soon as a part of the congregation had assembled because the people seldom waited for a human leader. (laughs) You know why that is? Because they were coming for God. They weren't coming for a leader. There was something that awoke inside of them and the zeal and passion of their heart was now their creator and there's no reason to wait because he's with me always. You can do church anywhere you are. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I'm in the midst. And we're all the same. You know that? We're all the same. God wants to use every single one of you. It doesn't matter who you are. If you have his Holy Spirit, that's all you need. You know, God was using children just as powerful as he was the adults in these meetings. They were spreading the gospel on the streets and seeing meetings break out in the streets that kids started. There is no difference between the Holy Spirit and me and the Holy Spirit and a child. Now, maybe I have some things that can, as an adult that I understand that can help, but the scripture says a child shall lead them. I saw Audrey in a a dream the other day And she was ready to start running. And I knew that God was calling the young people to run. And God's going to use her. He's got, you know, that's why the enemy's been attacking her so bad. Because of the purpose of God on her life. He's going to, he's going to, he's going to use that young lady. They didn't wait on leaders. There's possibly never been a religious movement so little indebted to the guiding minds of its leaders. When the evening meeting, which began at 7 o'clock, poured out at 3 o'clock the next morning, other crowds were already preparing to get into the chapel for the early morning prayer meeting. In many towns, all work ceased when the evangelists came. The factories and shops would sometimes close for days at a time so people could attend the meetings. A famous reporter of the great London Daily visited the meetings of the young prophet, Alar, in order to describe to the people in London the amazing scenes about which they had heard. I could go on. This thing describes amazing happenings that took place. The fire from this little revival that had the whole town, I mean, when I say the whole town, let me paint this picture clearly. It wasn't like it, the center of this was one particular church. It wasn't. Churches all through the towns, fire would spread from one to the next to the next, and every church became full with these types of meetings going on all around the whole country. Can you imagine a fire falling on Wilmington where people could go to any church in town where they elect God in 
And when I say let God in, you know what I mean. Jesus stands at the door of his own church knocking in the book of Revelation. We have to let him in. We have to give room for him. We have to treasure, Joel. We have to treasure his presence. We have to want it more than anything else. This little revival carried the fire because Robert, uh, Evan Roberts um, was kind enough to answer. Was it Bartle, Bartleman? Bartleman? From, from Frank Bartleman's letter and uh, William Seymour's letter from Azuzu Street where they, his encouragement to them gave them vision and hope and a spark from that revival came to Los Angeles. I believe it was, was it 1907, I believe? Let's see, I'll tell you. I think I'll tell you. 06. Well, at any rate, somewhere around there, it, it spread and they had the spirit poured out. And it was a barn where they were meeting, a stable. And it had whites and blacks in, in the early 1900s freely meeting together with blacks having as much a part of the leadership as the whites did. Tell me the spirit wasn't poured out in the 1900s. It wasn't like that. But God had done something in the hearts of men, and, he, and they realized that skin don't matter. And they worshiped God together. Guys, God's going to take us somewhere that no man has gone before, and I'm declaring that. And I want you to know that this is just a launching pad, that this won't compare to what God's about to do. His presence is something that we need to pursue with all that we have, because when he shows up, it's going to be amazing. And he is showing up. He's giving us taste. He say, here, you like that? I come on with me. I got a little more. Come a little higher. He's leaving breadcrumbs to lead us higher. He gives us taste. Taste and see that the Lord is good. But when we taste, what do we do with it? You know, there's two things that I believe, well, there's really one thing. Because the one thing leads to the other thing. There's one thing that's really needed to start a revival, in my opinion, and it's hunger. When you're hungry for something, you go get it. When I'm hungry, hungry, I'm getting up and I'm going to get something to eat. You know what I mean? When it's bow time, it's bow time. You got to get up and go get it. Or, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. When it's church's chicken time, <laughs> it's church's chicken time. <laughs> sorry, Ferrando, I hope you didn't hear that. <laughs> By the way, Ferrando is going to be preaching on December the 3rd here, so that's pretty awesome. Um, so, he's the owner of the church's chicken. They got a church across the way. So he's a, become a dear friend to our church and, and to me. 
Um, but in the 50s, you know, God's done so many amazing moves of God. In the 50s, there was power released on a, on a scale that I don't think maybe the earth has, has seen for such, I mean, it was about 10-year period of time when these evangelists going across the countries were seeing literally miracles that were people without, with limbs that were growing out. I mean, biblical level miracles. There was a, uh, I forget the congressman, but there was a congressman out of California who was dying and gets healed at one of these meetings. And of course, he, he was terminal. He got healed. And of course, that news spread across the whole country of him getting healed, I believe, at a, um, a William Branham meeting, I believe it was. There was miracles and power being released in the 50s, like, like something I, de- I so want to see. There was prophetic revelation flowing like uh, we've seen. We've seen some of that, but high level. All that's coming, but more and beyond. And so here's, why am I saying all this to you? Am I trying to get you stirred up? You daggone straight. I'm trying to cast a vision that this stuff is possible. If God visited them, he will visit us. He's not a respecter of persons. A group of people got hungry for God. And they said they got to the place they couldn't live without him. I can't live without you. I can't live without your presence, Father. Come. And they begin to pray and cry out and fast. And and they wanted him so bad that there was nothing else that could fill the void. And unfortunately, in the church today, we have become experts at filling the void with other things. And I'm not against other things. I love football, I love sports, I love lots of things, but if they're feeling that place that should be filled with him, then they're out of whack. If I'm not desperately heartsick for Jesus because I'm filling my time with other things, then they're out of whack. And I really, what else is there? I mean, I'm getting older and older every year, and I'm, my life is... Uh, I've already spent through half of my life, more than half, more than half of my life. I've spent more than half of my life. It's gone. And I've spent it on him, and I'm glad. (laughs) I'm glad. I've had to give up a lot of my desires to follow where the Lord wanted me to go, and at almost 50 years old, I am so thankful I did because there's nothing worth pursuing more than him nothing it's dung the career i wanted wasn't this it's dung the toys i wanted that i gave up to follow jesus dung not worth anything valueless because see when you start getting older you start realizing there's an expiration date and when you're young you don't realize that but i got an expiration date And it may be another 10, 15, 20 years, 30 years. 
or it may not. But I got an expiration date. So what am I living for? Is it eternity? Is it him? Or is it me? And I ain't got time to waste. And y'all don't either. We got to have him. It's Jesus or bust, right? Now we read some scriptures, then we're going to pray. Turn over to Psalms 42. And then if you want to hold a place, you can hold a place at Psalms uh, 27. When I hear the pages stop turning, I'll move forward. Hunger. Hunger is what's required because hunger will cause you to move. It'll cause you to pray. It'll cause you to seek. Jesus promised us, the word promises us, if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Did you hear me? If you draw near to God, if you get come near to God, he will come near to you. Do you know you're as close to God as you want to be? You right now are as close to God as you want to be. The place that you're at in your, in your walk with the Lord to a degree is determined by your own hunger. Now, obviously, we have to grow, and we are growing. We're taking steps. But he promised us that if we would press into him, if we would get close to him, he would get close to us. He desires it with all his heart. He's free, but he's not cheap. Jesus paid a price. We can know God. We can know him. We can know him as good and better than anybody in the Bible. And it's free, but it'll cost you everything. It's free, but it'll cost you everything. But there's nothing worth having more. He is the treasure. He is the treasure. Are y'all tracking with me? When that's what you want and there's nothing else that will, will do, that's when you'll get him. When you want God more than you want anything else, you'll have him. Y'all hear that? When you want God, when you're so desperate for God that you can't, nothing else will do, you'll have him. And guys, I believe the Lord is stirring up that kind of hunger in this congregation for God for his presence. That's why we don't do things normal. And I don't even care to. I want to kick it to the curb. I want God. Psalm 42. As the deer pants. You know what pants is. <laughs> I'm dying of thirst here. I've got to have something. I need, I need water. As the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants for you, O God. I need God more than I need water to drink. My soul is desperately parched and nothing else would do but you, Lord. I've got to have you, Lord. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before you, God? My tears have been my food day and night. Do you hear that? Sounds like some, 
some, some deep moaning and crying that's caused someone to fast and pray. I don't even care about food. I just got to have God. My tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember and I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go along with the throng and led them in procession to the house of God with the voice of joy and thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. Going to the house of the Lord should be a festival. It should be fun. It should be awesome. We should be tearing it up. This should be more fun than anything in the world. This should be a party beyond any party. This should be better than any club on Friday night. We should be having the time of our life. We should be hooping and hollering and praising and thanking God because we got something no one else in the world has. We have God. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. Now here's the key. For the help of his presence. The psalmist, in his deep desire to touch God, to encounter him, I am thirsty for you, Lord. Just hear David. I am thirsty for you. I have got to have you. Lord, I used to go to the party, but Lord, my soul is saddened. I have got to have more of you. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of your presence, Lord. Your presence is an ever-present help. Your presence is a help. Your presence is the fix. Your presence. In Psalms 27, the psalmist is talking about horrible things going on, war and all kinds of things, but he's talking about the Lord being his light and his salvation and whom shall I fear and he's going through people coming against him, but he gets to this place that even though all these attacks are coming against the psalmist, David here, he focuses on one thing that he's after. Though a host encamp against me, this is verse 3, my heart will not fear. Though war rises against me in spite of this, I shall be confident. Well, why should you be confident, David? Well, let me tell you. One thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek. One thing. Give me that one thing that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle. In the secret place of his tent, he will hide me. Sounds like Psalms 91. He will lift me up on a rock, and now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me and I will offer in his tent sacrifices of shouts of joy. 
Yes, sing. Yes, I will see praises to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, and be gracious to me and answer me. And when you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, O Lord, I shall seek. Now you remember when we did when I did this when we went through our three pillars and I talked about the presence and seeking the presence of God and how when he said seek my face that word face in the Hebrew literally means presence. So when you said seek my face or when you said seek my presence my heart said to you Lord your presence O Lord I shall seek the Lord is crying out to us and says, seek my presence. And the question is, will we be a group of people that say, Lord, your presence I shall seek? Lord, come. Lord, we are hungry for your presence and we want to be. Lord, where we don't have the appropriate desire in our hearts, we can t ask you for it. And so we're asking you, Lord, to give us the kind of hunger and desire that we need that we would seek your presence, Lord, but not just for the sake of seeking, but for the sake of obtaining. We're not seeking for the sake of seeking. We're seeking for the sake of finding. We want you, God, in our midst. We want you in our houses. We want you on our jobs. We want you, Lord, in our church. We want you in our home groups. We want you in our prayer meetings. We want you when we're hanging out with our friends. We want you in our midst, Lord. God, we can't live another day without you. Come, Lord Jesus, be in our midst. Let the fire of your presence fall on us, Lord. Consume our hearts. Consume our hearts. Let a burning from your spirit begin to burn away the dross, Lord. Burn it away in me, everything in me that doesn't, that hinders my love for you and my passionate pursuit of this one thing, Lord. I'm asking that you remove it from me. Take it from me. Show me what they are and I'll cast them, Lord, under the ground. I want to want you.